This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Forever. Beautiful listeners inside and out. It's Janie Stoller, host of Relatively Healthy here. And just want to remind you, dreams do come true because today I am talking with a plastic surgeon. Yes, if you've ever met me, you know that this is the one thing in life I care about is plastic surgery, but no one will ever talk with me about it and no one is willing to hear my thoughts. So luckily we have an expert on the show today and she's the best. Her name is Dr. Tina Ho. She's a facial plastic and reconstructive surgeon based in Philadelphia. I'm so excited to have her on because I have a list of 75,000 questions about facial plastic surgery and um, she is game to answer them. So I really hope you like this and I really hope that you will tell me what you think afterwards because basically I just need to be talking about plastic surgery all the time and hearing about it. And so, yeah, let's just do it. Okay. I am joined right now by Dr. Tina Ho. Tina, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Janie. This is awesome. So let's dive right in. We have so many awesome questions to ask you, and it's just such a pleasure to have you. So first of all, being a plastic surgeon, that must be such an interesting job. What drew you to that specialty and particularly the facial focus? Uh, So I think it stemmed all the way uh, from the beginning with my own uh, childhood surgeries. Um, I myself was born with Uh, what we call a congenital nevus, a large mole um, on my forehead that, uh, if not removed, could have a potential to develop cancer later on. So um, I actually myself underwent a number of reconstructive surgeries and uh, had surgeons who took great care of me and really had a a positive impact on me. Um, I think later in medical school, um, what drew me first to the field of um, ear, nose, and throat, and then eventually facial plastic surgery uh, was actually uh, my particular interest uh, in uh, the field, um, as well as how you know, this type of uh, practice suits my own um, personal uh, attributes. Um, with Within the realm of ENT, um, you have this focus in the head and neck region. The anatomy is really uh, intricate, detailed, um, and as a plastic surgeon, um, I get to be um, very detail-oriented myself, um, provide decisive uh, treatments for my patients where I see an immediate effect. And um, also, I I found a lot of mentors in my field who um, had a great sense of work-life balance um, and that I were... I was drawn to personality wise that I felt Mm. like overall, a lot of these reasons, um, you know, made facial plastic surgery the fit for me. Yeah. And it's, is it not the most competitive residency to get these days? Isn't it what it's up there, right? I think it's actually more competitive than when I applied, Mm. which I would like to say not too long ago, but I do feel a bit old now. (laughs) Um, The the nice thing about um, ENT, yes, there are certain uh, scores with the, the step exams um, that you do need to um, ideally have a, a minimum um, for. But I, I thought the nice thing when I applied to ENT is that uh, the the programs, um, the providers in the field, they look at you as a complete package. They look at you, okay, do you you know have um, 
the skill set as well as the personality um, to uh, and and the drive um, to f- uh, fit being an ENT provider. Mm-hmm. Very specific. And so do you frequently run into misconceptions about plastic surgery? I know that I just, you know, read a lot about it and like it's always on the cover of magazines and I'm sure what you do is very different than what people think. Right. Um, I think one thing to keep in mind when it comes to plastic surgery, there's both a reconstructive focus and cosmetic focus. I think the reconstructive part was the main thing that drew me to the field of uh, plastic surgery, given my own experiences. And um, while I do enjoy the cosmetic side and helping patients achieve uh, facial rejuvenation goals, there's something just about whether it's reconstructing a skin cancer defect, helping a patient who's had facial trauma, or a patient with like a cleft lip, cleft palate uh, deformity, um, a patient with a medical condition. I think it goes a long way. And, mm-hmm. you know, myself as a patient, uh, a patient when I was a child, I think I can, um, identify with that. Um, I think another potential misconception, and this is, you know, where I'm seeing with my, um, patients where, um, they're worried about looking unnatural, um, particularly when we talk about doing, uh, non-surgical, uh, procedures in the clinic uh, to um, achieve facial rejuvenation. A lot of patients say, hey, I don't want to have duck lips. I don't want to look like I have a lot done. I think when uh, we have, for instance, certain celebrities in LA um, who we look to for, you know, what we define as, you know, most youthful appearances, pushing the edge when it comes to appearance and fashion. Um, Sometimes they, I think, push the boundaries um, maybe sometimes a bit too much and then, you know, make potential patients question, you know, what can be really done or not done Mm -hmm. to help them achieve their goals. Totally. Yeah. We see a lot of the results that are maybe most quote unquote extreme as opposed to the stuff you're talking about, um, the more common. Um, So if I were going to meet with you, what would an initial consultation look like? So um, for me, it's, you know, usually about a 30 to 45 minute um, visit. Um, I think other providers uh, have that similar opportunity because the key thing is I want to, you know, establish trust with the, um, with the patient from the beginning. You know, it's a big deal. They're trusting their face with me. And I want to make sure I devote um, enough time and counseling to make sure that um, I can help address any questions they have, um, help to talk with them the best uh, treatment options for them to make them feel most comfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, So right from the get-go, I talk to them about my treatment approach, keeping it natural, keeping it conservative, and how I I want patients walking out of my office feeling refreshed, but as if no one knows what we exactly did together. Mm -hmm. Um, Then I uh, go into asking them about um, their past uh, medical or surgical history and basically what their problem areas in their face that they see and their uh, uh, treatment goals. Um, I I then do like a top-down analysis in their face just to, I concentrate on the areas that they most um, are concerned about, but also let them know too objectively, you know, if they haven't thought about it before, maybe potential areas that could benefit from treatment as well. Um, And then after that, I bring it back to, um, you know, catering it to the individual patient's anatomy, their treatment goals, and even their budget to then, you know, decide with them um, what the best treatment options are, what they would like to pursue. Um, It's also important to talk about potential benefits and risks for each type of procedure um, to make sure that the patient is well-informed and has realistic expectations. Um, If we have enough time, um, and usually I do accommodate my schedule, say if it's like Botox or filler, um, we'll get it done same day. Interesting. I think a lot of people, myself included, would be nervous to go in a consultation from what we've seen on TV, which is like, you know, a plastic surgeon has a marker and they just show that, you know, here's where we'll do this and this this, and like without asking any questions. So that's important, I think, for listeners to know that a good consultation with a good doctor does not look like that. It's about a conversation and listening. Right. Um, Right. Yeah. And just one extra thing, too. Mm -hmm. A lot of times um, what helps is I'll have a mirror in the room as well, just so that we're looking at the patient's face together. And then so I can help point out things and um, something helpful, too, that I know a lot of other things. 
utilize is if it's a patient who returns to me after treatment, I'll do post-treatment photographs and then we can go over them together to see what um, results we've achieved and the changes we see. Mm -hmm. That's great. So when you're uh, in a typical workday, what are some of the most common concerns women ask about and men ask about? So um, as a plastic surgeon, uh, I would say, and I think across other surgeons too, um, the majority of our patients are female. Mm -hmm. So um, when it comes to aesthetic concerns, I kind of divide female patients of uh, into younger patients versus older patients. So um, younger patients may come in, they want to be um, uh, preventative about their wrinkles. So we may be talking about neurotoxin treatments like Botox. Um, they may be interested in um, a little lip rejuvenation, like seeking more volume or definition to their lips. Um, more recently, I've, I've had patients come in who want um, to have increased jawline definition. I think mm -hmm. that's an increasingly popper, popular um, procedure. In my older female patients, we try to um, tackle areas where we can help with facial rejuvenation overall. So these are the patients that could maybe benefit from multiple procedures like doing Botox plus the fillers to help um, improve volume, uh, minimize uh, facial folds and give a lifting effect. Um, I love doing uh, treatment to the cheeks, for instance, if you can help rejuvenate the mid-face area that, that um, goes a long way. Um, one one um, area that I feel like I dress every single day now, and this is amongst uh, younger and older patients, is the dark circle appearance. Um, one factor associated with that is what we call a tear trough deformity, a hollowing in the under eyes that can be um, improved with filler. This can be seen in young patients who just genetically have it, as well as older patients who, from gravity burning the tissues down and volume loss, develop this as well. And then real quickly for my male patients, um, they, you know, may come in uh, and want to seek treatment for their wrinkles, um, also for helping with facial rejuvenation as well, or um, increased jawline definition. So sometimes um, similar needs to my female counterparts, but I always have to keep in mind, you know, um, that I might have to uh, approach the treatment a little bit differently to uh, help make sure that they're retaining their more masculine features. Awesome. So I have so many questions about all the procedures you just mentioned. They're so fascinating mm -hmm. to me. For fillers in general, do they dissolve or do some dissolve and some don't? Like what happens to them over time? So the most common um, type of filler out there is what we call um, hyaluronic acid filler. I think one of the major uh, companies quotes that over 90% um, of the fillers uh, injected are hy hyaluronic acid form. Um, hyaluronic acid is um, essentially... A, um, a molecule that's actually found naturally in our own bodies, in our own skin, and it gives that plumping effect. It's involved in wound healing. So the filler products have um, a modified form of this. Um, any any filler product that you see that has hyaluronic acid, um, essentially it will uh, go away with time. It will uh, resorb in your body. The um, Depending on the type of filler, the average dur duration ranges from about one to two years. Um, there are permanent uh, fillers out there. Um, I think they're just because we have strict re regulations in the U.S. Um, they're more, you know, popular outside of the country. Um, but there are permanent and fillers. And before hy hyaluronic acid fillers, you know, came. Uh, to rise in popularity, we did have more, we had uh, permanent options such as silicone in the past too, but um, permanent fillers definitely have, um, you know, certain higher risks to, to be taken mm. into account. Mm -hmm. And hyaluronic acid, I've seen that in skincare products as a topical treatment or in moisturizer. Is that something that's also effective if you put on top of your skin? Uh, yes. So again, um, as I mentioned, it's, you know, naturally 
a part of our body or of our bodies and our skin. And it just helps to hydrate and plump the skin. Mm. So it's a great adjunct um, component to uh, skincare pro- products. I, I definitely highly recommend it um, for any patient as part of their um, anti-aging skin regimen. Oh, good to know. Um, and for uh, lick for the lip fillers, which you mentioned, I'm really curious about mm-hmm. those. I've seen, I mean, we've all seen some celebrities that seem like they overdo it and it just feels like, oh gosh, we're at a point where this doesn't look natural. Do those, is there right. a way to like get them back to normal or do you have to wait out for those fillers to dissolve? So um, regardless if, if a hyaluronic acid filler is used, it will dissolve over time. So in a way that could be the safest, um, but longest process, um, to let, you know, a product go away. Um, with these hyaluronic acid fillers, they actually can be, uh, reversible with an injection, um, called hyaluronidase. Um, the effect is pretty immediate within hours and, um, takes into full effect within one to two days. And so um, say if a patient is really unhappy with their result, especially with the lips, or if they you have like a high-risk complication like infection or vascular compromise, the filler can be dissolved mm. um, fairly quickly. I think when it comes to avoiding unnatural um, results with lip filler, um, it's definitely important to you know, uh, see a specialized um, provider who um, has experience with uh, lip filler injections, can talk to you about their approach, and even maybe show before and after pictures. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of my older patients um, are really scared when we even talk about lip filler because they keep saying, I don't want to have um, duck lips. Mm-hmm. So as long as the, you know, Provider can reassure, okay, this is my approach, I, and this is how where how and where I inject the filler. And you know the those photos you see on Instagram, for instance, of the you know really juicy lips. Um, mm-hmm. and, again, and again, some patients prefer that result. It a lot of times takes incremental treatments, not just one syringe, but multiple syringes. And and that boundary can be pushed as long as the injector knows that we just need to take our time and do it amongst a series of treatments rather than try to do it all at once. Yeah, that's great to know. And great to know, yeah, you can pace it out. You can undo a little bit if you get the right kind. That's great. Um, I also heard, speaking of fillers, this thing about a liquid nose job or a non-permanent nose job, is is that fillers around the nose? How does that work? So that also is now an extremely popular procedure um, since I myself trained in rhinoplasty and have seen um, when filler on the nose has gone bad. I am um, pretty conservative and prefer not to do what they call a non-surgical rhinoplasty or liquid rhinoplasty. Um, But again, essentially what filler can do for the nose as well as in other areas of the face is is to basically help um, mask you know, certain deficient areas and to help achieve more uh, proportion or balance. So for instance, you can take a patient with a little bump on the bridge of their nose that they're concerned by and put, for instance, a little filler around it, maybe above and below the bridge to make the bridge look a little more smooth. Interesting. Um, you could also, you could also apply a little filler, um, maybe at the base of the nose to help make the tip uh, rotated up more if mm. that the, if um, that is what the patient is seeing. But again, it's subtle changes and overall that's what filler does to achieve. Um, this episode is brought to you by sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply beautiful uh, results. Mm -hmm. I would recommend though, if you'd like a more permanent solution, if a patient's seeking a more permanent solution and needs um, more refined change, like say if they want a a smaller refined um, tip to their nose, then surgery is the way to go. Good to know. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm seeing a lot about those. I feel like I hadn't heard about them till very recently. Mm -hmm. Um, Speaking of recent, Some of my friends are now doing what they call preventative Botox, meaning that they're young and they really don't have wrinkles. And they're Mm -hmm. saying that they're doing Botox because if you start before you have wrinkles, it'll prevent them. But my theory is that you'd get them anyway. So um, I'm curious what your thoughts are on preventative Botox. Um, So I feel like with Botox or other treatments, like at the end of the day, if I point something out and a patient isn't super bothered by this issue, then I don't push treatment there because, again, we want to make sure that, that the patient is satisfied with the results and sees a change. So a lot of times I'll point out wrinkles and they say, well, I actually I'm not bothered. I like my wrinkles. And then we you know, don't go any further. Mm-hmm. I feel like so for me. I talk about, I talk to patients when I think of preventive Botox, I address it more to patients who actually are developing lines. Um, They might not be as deep as my older patients, but not necessarily those who don't even have any, have much movement or, or, or any lines yet in a certain area. That way that say when they raise their forehead or, um, you know, in between the brows, if they're making some lines, you can do some Botox to relax the muscles. You might not have to do a super strong dose, but it will keep those muscles from making those lines, um, and make the lines more etched over time. I really, um, Yep. I really promote the phrase preventative Botox or that it's preventative for those patients who younger patients who've already developed etched lines at rest, say in their forehead, say between their eyebrows, such that you want to, you know, use the Botox to minimize and even get rid of those lines. And if you keep doing it, it'll keep those lines at bay and from becoming deeper Mm. over time. But is it possible to do that Botox and then maintain facial expressiveness? Like, I think the stereotype with Botox is that you can't even lift your eyebrows or just like you're expressionless. But there's probably some middle ground, right, where you're not completely stiff faced ultimately. Right. I totally agree with you. And I think that comes down to the uh, experience and technique of the injector. It's, you know, it's straightforward. It's just a, a, a series of quick injections with a mathematical basis, but there's an artistic basis to it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree with you that I feel like trying to preserve as much natural movement as possible um, is key. But for instance, with the forehead, and if it's a, a patient who's had um, a number of Botox treatments who comes in to see me, I do gauge the patient too, because there are patients who say, I'd rather my forehead be completely smooth and I'm okay with sacrificing my brow moving a bit, or compared to some of those who say, I just want the lines minimized and I still want to look natural. Um, for me to help achieve the more natural look, it's uh, mostly conservative treatment to the forehead and to what we call the crow's feet, the lines around uh, the eyes, like lateral to the eyes. With the crow's feet, you still want to have some lines there because um, as my uh, mentor um, taught me in fellowship, if you completely get rid of those lines and when you smile, it starts to look unnatural. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the forehead, if the injector treats um, lightly and higher in the forehead, that will um, help ensure that the brows are still elevating more. If you um, increase the 
the dosage of the Botox, you have stronger dose or you, you um, inject closer, like down the forehead, closer to the eyebrow, that's when you're at risk of restricting the eyebrow movement and potentially dropping the brow. Mm, okay. With treatment. And if someone starts Botox, I'm curious if it's something that then they would do forever. Like you, you don't ever stop doing it if you want to keep the results, right? Because how long does it, how long does Botox last? I should ask. So Botox and other neurotoxin treatments last on average three months. Um, it could be a little bit less, a little bit more depending on the patient. Um, and then basically I leave it up to the patient. So yes, if you keep repeating it, then you will keep those lines from um, you know, developing as much and becoming deeper and etched over time. So my patients, some are very proactive and say, I want to schedule my next appointment in three or four months and have it on the schedule. Others like to wait until they see that the product has worn off and then call to make their um, appointment. I think... Um, it's one of those things. I myself um, only have had Botox to my masseters, so I can't identify as much. But I would say once you see um, a treatment like this that's quick and easy, minimal risk, and has such a nice um, uh, widespread effect that it can be considered addictive, you know, mm -hmm. to keep continuing the treatment. Mm -hmm. um, I do think it's, you know, if you're willing to invest, I think it's, you know, a good treatment to um go for, um, and for some, sometimes for instance, my older patients who come to me and haven't had Botox before and they have those etched lines already. Sometimes it's just a lot harder to try to, um, create improvement in the wrinkled areas compared to if we started Botox a little bit sooner. Oh, good to know. That's interesting. I, this is, um, jumping ahead a bit because I want to ask you a bunch of questions about skincare, but that touches on something that I think all of us are wondering about all the time, which is what we're supposed to actually do about wrinkles, either preventatively or to treat them and what's out there for that. Because there's a bunch of products on the market and I'm assuming most of them are not right. effective. Um, so I'm wondering what in your expertise you, you would say right. to that. Right. So it's funny that I'm a facial plastic surgeon and I do, I am fortunate to um, work at a dermatology practice where that re reinforces my knowledge of the skin and skincare. But I do get asked about skincare um, questions all the time um, by my patients. Um, and I felt lucky I was able actually to learn about it in my fellowship and also in a way too to improve my own skincare. Um, I'm someone who you know, before in my training, pretty tomboyish. And mm -hmm. now just with some regular maintenance, that's, you know, nothing crazy. I have patients and other people telling me often that my skin looks great. I've never, I've never been that kind of person um, before. So um, I think what myself, other plastic surgeons and dermatologists would re recommend sun protection is the number one uh, thing um, to prevent wrinkles and, um, you know, sun damage, uh, aging effects. Um, you want to always have, um, SPF of uh, 35 and you can incorporate that into your, um, daily moisturizer, um, to always have sun protection, um, when you're exposed, uh, to the sun. It, um, and then stepping up from that, um, what I learned from fellowship, um, having a skincare regimen with, uh, vitamin A, D and E is really beneficial. Um, vitamin A is your retinol, which um, helps with the cell turnover process to um, help generate uh, new uh, skin cells. Um, and actually, my dermatologist colleagues, uh, since uh, you know practicing, starting my practice with them, they actually recommend for retinoids, which is um, a stronger uh, form. And it's if you know you know retin A. Um, mm -hmm which is for acne. So it's that, it's at that level, um, retinoids to incorporate into your skincare regimen. Um, the one, uh, possible, you know, side effect or risk with retinoid or retinols is depending on the dose you're on, you know, it could cause, um, 
some irritation or redness to your skin. And if so, you just need to back down on the dose. So with a retinoid cream, you could do that um, every other day. The retinol, um, which is, again, less strong that I have currently my own skincare, I do it twice a day. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that's because my skin can uh, tolerate that. Um, vitamin and then vitamin C, which with a couple other things I'll mention in a little bit, are great um, adjuncts for your overall um facial skin care. Vitamin C helps to even out pigmentation. Um, we talked about hyaluronic acid earlier and then peptides um, as well. Um, they are great for um, as an adjunct um, into the skincare regimen. Um, I also recommend in addition to what you put on Besides your moisturizer and what you put on your face that includes a retinol or retinoid um, in the morning and night to have a good eye cream as well as a good neck cream if you're wanting to um, invest in an anti-skin, anti-aging skin skincare regimen. The eyes um, show the first signs of aging. So a good eye cream that could have like peptides or something that um, promotes moisturization will help keep the puffiness, the fine lines, the darkness um, at at bay, keep uh, keep that aging process at the bay. Um, also, peptides are great for um, to be concentrated around your lips to help uh, minimize uh, fine lines, the smoker lines, we call it, that develop over time. And then the last point I want to make, I know you asked about, like, there's so many products out there. What I tell patients is the products that you buy at the doctor's office um, are more expensive but higher grade. Mm. Um so it depends. I think, you know, if you go to, you know, Sephora or you look online, there's a lot of over-the-counter products. I think you can start with there, especially if your budget is not at the price point of what it, what is sold at a um, cosmetic doctor's office or a med spa. Um, as long as you, you feel like the reviews are legitimate, you could try with the over-the-counter products. And then um, ultimately, um, you could, if you want to invest a bit more, um, try the products that are sold at the doctor's office. Um, and then uh, add on um, adjunct skin rejuvenation treatments too to really boost the anti-aging skincare regimen. Wow, I got to thank you for that because I'm going to go back and write down everything you just said because I've spent so many hours, I'm sure so many listeners have on like Reddit forums and Facebook groups just trying to make sense of all of the non-expert recommendations and you just distilled it into such a perfect little package because trust me, I've spent so much money on things I had to throw away because they did not work. Okay. <laughs> um, so it was very helpful. Hopefully it wasn't yeah. rambling too much. Not at all. Yeah, oh like my God. Also, people lot, make yeah. fun of me, but in LA, since I've moved here, I get so worried about how much sun exposure you get just day to day. So I wear a driving sleeve and this is my non-surgical endorsement, which is you can buy sleeves that are like <laughs> compression sleeves for running and you put them on your arms. So you get less sun and you look insane and people make fun of you. But uh, the joke's going to be on them when my left arm looks awesome when I'm older. Okay. Thank you. Um, okay, great. That's awesome. That's really helpful. So going back to plastic surgery, um, I had a couple more questions about that because there's so many things out there that I'm just like, what is going on? Um, one thing that I really want to ask about is I know this is not your area of expertise at all, but it's uh, something I'm seeing all the time on Instagram and discussed in, you know, on blogs and everything. And it is the rise of the butt implant. And um, from what I understand, there's a literal implant or there's you can get fillers in your butt. And I just whatever information you have on that, I am fascinated to hear. Okay. Um, so I can probably talk just a little bit and we'll just defer to my you know, um, plastic surgeon colleagues, those who specialize in um, body plastic. So again, anyone listening out there, if you're interested, please you know, make sure for a consultation to see someone who specializes in um, general uh, plastic surgery, specifically in the body. Um, essentially, yes, kind of similar to the phase where you can think about non-permanent and uh, permanent options. Um, what I've seen and heard, heard about, um, a permanent, uh, good permanent option is fat transfer. Uh, we do it to the face as well, where you can take fat from elsewhere in the body. Um, again, this is, I'm not sure if it's similar for when it comes to butt augmentation, but for the face, for instance, we take it from like the thighs 
or the belly. Um, and then you can actually place the fat into the area that needs to be augmented. Um, it's your own material, which is gray and it's a permanent option. The downsides of fat transfer with any procedure. And I caution this with patients is that it's unpredictable how much fat lasts. We mm. like to say what lasts at about six months because it needs to survive in the area that it was um, transferred to. But um, survives at about six months, typically about 50% is what is going to survive. Um, now, I've also uh, seen colleagues out there, particularly Instagram, where they're doing um, filler injections, I think particularly with one product, Sculptra. Um, Sculptra is a filler. It's not as immediately volumizing. It does require multiple injections, and it, is, it leaves like a more permanent effect, actually, in terms of promoting uh, collagen production. So I think um, filler is um, is a uh, potential option as well. And then I would like to, you know, would um, think implants um, is a possibility, but again, I'm, I'm just not the expert mm -hmm. to talk about what kind of permanent implants are possible for um, bud augmentation. Gotcha. So with fat transfer, I'm so fascinated by that too, because from just like looking at your body, the qual it's like the quality of fat on your thigh feels and looks to a layperson very different than the fat on your face. So if you put, you know, fat from your thigh somewhere else, does it look like the fat would naturally on in your cheek? I think it would be uh, fairly similar. Mm -hmm. So the process, how we do it to harvest the fat, um, it's essentially liposuction. So you um, basically use a wand and you um, you place it underneath the skin and you fan this wand back and forth, let's say in your belly or in your thigh. And then um, the the system I usually work with is, has like a vacuum, like a negative pressure system to then collect the fat, which looks like a liquid, like a fatty liquid. Once you feel like you've gotten enough volume, we then um, spin down the fat so that it all gets concentrated into these syringes. So it's essentially like this, um, I don't know how to describe it, like this thick fluid. Um, similar, I mean, not similar consistency to filler, but fillers themselves are like a, um, a thick cohesive fluid. Um, but it's essentially a fluid that you then inject, um, back into the face. Mm, that's crazy. I love it. I want that one. Um, <laughs> it's so funny. It's like, you're saying that the fat, um, doesn't last as long on your, uh, you know, in your face or, you know, in other parts of your body, it's like, Hmm, well, if you can't get rid of the fat on your thighs. Um, so you also mentioned earlier uh, jaw fillers. And I feel like I didn't hear about that uh, for a while. Maybe they were happening. I didn't know about it. But I hear a lot about that. And like the plastic surgery accounts on Instagram I follow talk about them. So how does how does that work? So um, depending on the uh, patient's treatment goals, um, filler, again, especially if you use certain kind of filler products that have um, more viscosity um, and are volumizing, they can help create more definition along the jawline. Um, I do often um, perform uh, chin augmentation with filler. And these are patients, if you kind of look on their side view, where they're made born with a chin that was more recessed, um, more under projected. And if you um, increase the projection of the chin with some filler, you can make the face look more proportionate. Um, this is especially in the case with a patient who might be bothered by their nose. If they happen to have a weak chin as well as chin that's under projected, if you improve the chin projection, then the nose won't appear as big. Um, which I find really interesting. Um, for patients, uh, a lot of my older female patients, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, gravity with aging pulls all the soft tissues down. So that means that your jawline becomes ill-defined. And a lot of older patients have what we call jowling, where you have, you know, that dependent tissue um, that kind of hangs uh, down from the jaw. And um, 
hides it. In front of this area of sagging tissue, um, you can have what we call like a depression, like because the tissue behind it is more lax. We call it like a pregial sulcus. Um, and it can make the, the chin from looking at a person straight on look more pointed, like a witch's chin, which is a sign of aging. So you can um, actually, you know, uh, take filler to um, inject it along the sides of the chin in the front of the jawline to help give a smoother and more defined contour that will make the areas of jowling um, less uh, obvious um, to the observer's eye to give a more youthful appearance and make the chin peer less pointed as well. Mm. Um, and I, I, I caution patients, again, this does not definitively address the actual issue, the jowling, which a surgical procedure like a facelift would to bring back that skin, but it helps to mask um, it a bit better and restore a more youthful appearance. Um, and then depending, it's actually both younger and older patients have been seeking um, treatments for defining their jawline, particularly more in the back by the angle of the jaw mm. in front of the ear. Um you can easily, if you would go on Instagram or other social media, this, I think, especially on, um, amongst old, uh, younger patients that they want that more angled look. Um, and this is also a popular treatment, um, amongst male, uh, male patients to get more jawline definition. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say this is as if to achieve more youthful appearance is more of a patient preference if they want to have a more defined appearance um, to their facial features. Interesting. All of this is so fascinating because I'm sure like other listeners out there, my main perception of plastic surgery, especially facial plastic surgery was like rhinoplasty and facelift and, you know, an eye lift. And it sounds like there's just so many ways out there where a a uh, skilled plastic surgeon can administer fillers and it's just much more creative than I would have thought of like balancing things and, and making, if something looks big, making something else look smaller or all the ways that your face, you know, the parts of it work together is so fascinating. Right. It's really, really right. interesting. Right. Um, so moving on to skincare, because you said that you um, have expertise in this, and this is such a rich topic. So what are the most common concerns people bring to you about their skin specifically? So in my older patients, um, it's basically wrinkling and sun damage um, are some of their uh, top concerns. If it's wrinkles with facial movement, particularly in the upper third of the face, then we definitely can improve those areas with Botox. Um, I do caution those patients that if their wrinkle lines are pretty deep or etched at baseline, um, Botox will only have a certain effect and that we need to consider adjunct uh, skin rejuvenation treatments too to help further improve the um, the texture, uh, the lines in the skin. And then um, in terms of other sun damage changes that my older patients are bothered about, um, it could be brown spots, um, hyperpigmentation, just um, crepey appearance uh, to their skin, especially in the lower eyelid area, um, as well as just skin laxity in general, whether it's um, now that they have a uh, more ill-defined uh, jawline, um, or they have uh, skin laxity in the neck area. Um, for my younger patients, um, it depends. If they have like a true dermatologic condition, um, usually one of my dermatology uh, condition uh, uh, colleagues get involved. Um, but definitely from a cosmetic standpoint, I have patients talk to me about their scars, particularly Act, uh, deep acne scars, um, as well as, um, you know, little, uh, blood vessels, hyperpigmentation, um, that, uh, they want to further address. I also see a number of younger and older patients who want, um, say like a benign skin lesion, like a mole or a cyst removed. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy to help them with that. I've had so many, I've read so many forums about acne scars and how to get rid of them. And it does seem like, uh, it's, you gotta go to a doctor to really get it done. 
Right. Um, I think, um, and again, my, my dermatologist colleagues can comment more, but it's first controlling the medical disease. So, um, options like retin-A, spironolactone, um, and then once it's well controlled, then you talk about what skin rejuvenation treatments you can do for acne scarring. Um, I know lasers can help. I know, um, types of microneedling can help. We have a procedure um, called Infini that incorporates microneedling and a radio frequency to really improve acne scars. And then actually something I learned in my practice is that for the deeper acne scars, if they've kind of gone through a number of series of procedures, haven't gotten as much improvement they want, and they still have deep acne scars, um, filler is a possible treatment to help um, acne scars. Interesting. So you also mentioned very commonly is something you see is people not wearing enough sunblock or that that should just be one of the main rules of skincare and your face is to wear sunblock and sun protection. Are there other mm-hmm. common practices you see people getting wrong where you're like, Ugh, I wish everyone would just either stop doing this or start doing this one thing? Um, That's a good question. I think... Not necessarily. I think a lot of times when patients ask me, oh, especially if they're a little bit younger and have signs of aging of, you know, anything I could have done to prevent this or, you know, why do I have this issue, especially the dark circle appearance to the eyes. I think a lot of it is just genetics Mm -hmm. or what what you're born with, you know, especially what what you see in your your parents, um, you know, and that you can then gauge or anticipate some of the um, signs of aging that you may inherit from them from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe come back to me with that question. I don't think otherwise there's anything that other than just certain misconceptions about um, treatments, what they do. For instance, I, I might have a patient who, who thinks they need Botox for helping um deep lines in the lower part of the face. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah. It's really for the forehead. Have, have you ever um, seen Botox though? What is it like jaw relaxation or something like that? I think there's a celebrity I heard talk about that. I don't know if that's real. It is. Oh, so it is. that's okay. the only area that I actually um, received Botox treatment for mm-hmm. and it really helps. Mm-hmm. So I have um, uh, a lot of like jaw clenching stress. I grind my teeth, um, from what we call like TMJ dysfunction. Um, so, and what goes along with it is you have these muscles called the masseters. They're by your jawline, kind of towards the back of your face. And especially in my case, um, they're what we call hypertrophic, like really big and they're really strong. So if you actually um, inject Botox into this muscle, um, it can uh, weaken the muscle and help relieve the stress um, that you are causing with the the jaw clenching and the grinding of the teeth. Um, However, it doesn't directly address the issue of the TMJ dysfunction. So, again, I don't want to speak for dentists out there, but, again, I still wear my night night guard. And if you have real um, issues with the um, uh, temporal mandibular joint, um, such as, like, it's you know, the, it's, your jaw is, is really clicking and moving out of the joint, then you might actually need certain dental procedures to address the issue at hand. But, um, but yes, it really helps me, um, you know, just to relieve the stress of the force that I create with my muscle by weakening it a bit. And then depending on the patient, if you, um, weaken and essentially make these muscles smaller with Botox, it can um, help to narrow the lower third of the face. Um, We think of the the ideal youthful face as one that has an inverted uh, pyramid shape with a tapered lower face. So um, certain patients with more rounded face or of um, particular ethnicities, for instance, I have Asian patients that come to me that want injections to their master so that um, their face looks less rounded, that they have um, a more tapered appearance to the lower face. Mm, interesting. I'd be interested to talk with plastic surgeons in different countries and like hear what their specific 
you know, cultural beauty ideals and all that and ideas about aging of how they affect the plastic surgery there. That just made me wonder. Um, that's all truly fascinating. So I feel like I've learned a lot. I have to definitely go back and take notes on everything and change literally everything I do always. Um, but for people uh, listening, I feel like I want to give them some takeaways because there's so much here and it's such a gift to have you on. So in general, what advice would you give to people considering plastic surgery? I think it's important to uh, do your research, um, to find a provider who um, has the right credentials, who, especially if it's a general plastic surgeon, um, that they're board certified. I think this is an issue. I remember, I think it was one of the plastic surgery journals um, that did a, um, a research article and quoted maybe only um, as little as 20% or less of uh, cosmetic doctors out there on social media media are actually board certified. Whoa. Um, so I think, um, yeah, again, I probably have to go back and, and look for that article, but it's a very low number. So Interesting. And I, I, I've heard too, um, I think a big step in, you know, uh, California, like a big deal um, is that um, only board certified plastic or cosmetic surgeons can actually advertise, you know, or, or state that they're rep for their reputation, that mm -hmm. they're a plastic um, surgeon, um, which I think is a big deal for those who are trained um, in the field. Um, so yes, do your, do your research. You know, again, I, I always say, I think because medicine now is so much more consumer, consumer and review driven. So definitely take reviews with a grain of salt, but I think it's good to find a surgeon or a provider who has a good amount of positive um, reviews. I think it's good if they have um, before and after photos uh, to show you. And then at the end of the day, um, once you go into that consultation and um, to talk about your treatment goals, it's really important that you have feel like you have trust and confidence in that provider and that you're on the same page when it comes to treatment goals and realistic um, expectations. Good to know. Um, These are great. Yeah. And if people are interested, which I'm sure they are, um, in learning more about your practice or connecting with you, how can people find you and um, what advice would you give them about getting in touch? Sure. Um, so again, I'm uh, Dr. Tina Ho. I'm a facial plastic surgeon in the Phil Philadelphia area. Um, my website is www.drtinaho.com. Um, I also have a, a professional and personal Instagram account that you're happy to follow at um, dr. T-I-N-A-H-O, Dr. Tina Ho. Um, again, I'm someone also who's happy to answer questions. I think um, one great resource is RealSelf. Um, it connects consumers who are potential patients to providers and providers themselves um, can have their own uh, pages where they show their reviews before and after pictures, um, answer questions. Um, so yeah, I think that's great. pretty much it. That's awesome. Well, thank you so, so much for taking the time to chat about this. This was the best hour of my life. Um, and no worries. Yeah, Thanks for having me. I really I appreciate it. Yeah, great. Okay. So everyone follow Dr. Tina and wow, we got, uh, we got a lot of work to do. <laughs> thank you. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.